I was fortunate to be chosen by Federal Highway and uh, by AASHTO and NCHRP to participate in this, in this international scan to look at the, the best practices internationally to accommodate old ro older road users. And uh, the, the scan took place at, uh, from the end of February through mid-March. It was about 17 days. Uh, went, we went to both Australia and Japan. Uh, this is going to be a real flyover presentation, uh, so we're going to keep moving as we move through here. Uh, and I think you'll see that there's some very interesting things going on internationally. Uh, the first thing, these are the SCAN members from all over the country. We had good representation at the federal level, state level, uh, local level. Howard Glassman from Florida was on the, the trip with us. Uh, we also had some very smart folks with us. We had four PhDs who were very well versed in, in safety research. And so we had a really, really good group, uh, a good representation. I, I should say, uh, I think one of the reasons I was chosen uh, was West Virginia and Florida, uh, I guess, are neck and neck in the per capita population of older road users. Now, Florida obviously has a lot, a lot more older road users, but I think per capita, West Virginia and Florida are, are right at the front of the list. Here is our group uh, photograph from uh, the last day or so when we were in Tokyo, Japan, and uh, you may know some of those folks. And basically, this is the reason for the scan. I think many of you in the room have seen this slide, this U-shaped curve. Um, over on the left with the younger drivers, of course, the, the reason for that is inexperience. But then as you get over to the right side of the curve over there, you see that the numbers of fatalities really creeping back up again. A uh, number of issues there, frailty of older drivers, uh, also judgment and reaction time. Uh, but then something uh, you may or may not have thought of is that you really have a much higher incidence of pedestrian uh, fatalities in older road users, partially because of the frailty. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that when you talk about folks uh, getting out of a car and not having pedestrian facilities available for them. Uh, this is another part of the problem. Um, I think probably as I look around the room, most of us in the room are baby boomers. And it's pretty remarkable what's happened over the years with lifespan. And you can see on the left there, uh, as we started the baby boom generation, that you had a, a large segment of the population spread out there. Uh, that's a, sort of a busy graph, but I think you see the point that with life expectancy going up, you really have a squaring of the graph here on the right. So where did we go? Uh, we went to Australia, three cities, Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. And then uh, the last part of the tour, we ended up going over to Tokyo. And the question is, why were these two chosen? Uh, similar de uh, demographic age distribution, at least in Australia, you can see uh, pretty similar statistics there. But then pretty remarkably, in Japan, you can see a, a much longer-lived population, longer-lived population. I think National Geographic or somebody had a, an article about that, so that's a, a different scan, but they, they really have folks uh, living longer lives there. Now, this is pretty important, a, a much better safety record than the U.S. If you look at the traffic fatality rates per 100,000 population, uh, we have the 14.2 the shown here. Australia is much lower at 9.3, and Australia probably uniquely uh, has a lot more follow-through and willingness to do things to get the numbers down. Japan's is even lower, but I think probably some of that is because of the population density and about how congested it is. Well, we arrived in Sydney uh, the first part of the, the trip, and you can see Leanna DePew here, who many of you in the room probably know. Uh, we had that first afternoon, Sunday afternoon, to get acclimated to drivers driving on the wrong side of the road. Uh, so this was down by the, the pier area, the, the harbor area in Sydney, where a lot of pedestrians come out from uh, 
uh, overseas and probably get hit there. So that you can see the look right sign. What did we hope to learn? We basically had three areas. We wanted to look at things in the planning area, uh, how to, to use the planning process to accommodate older road users. But also, uh, I'll call it the building area. What do we do in the area of infrastructure, uh, building roads uh, that can accommodate older road users? And finally, uh, get some ideas for research to come back and, and think about here in the U.S. Th these next two slides are pretty important. These are the takeaways from our trip, and uh, I'll probably spend more time on these two slides than, than as I flip through the other slides. Number one is we're all in this together, pretty much all around the world. Uh, this aging demographic that you saw with the, the squaring of the, of the slide there is happening. And so I uh, really do need to think about ways to, to increase the safety for older road users. Really requires a commitment at the highest level of government. Uh, I really appreciated the presentations we've heard so far that show uh, folks having a commitment at a very high level, and it really does take that. It's incredibly important that you have local government involved in this, that uh, uh, actually getting the stuff on the ground and, and getting uh, funding and, and getting the pieces together, particularly uh, the community programs that we saw in some of those areas require locals. A, a real systems approach uh, from soup to nuts, uh, a lot of this stuff is interrelated and you have to think about it that way. Uh, in a minute I'll talk about speed reduction and you'll see the way that Australia used a systems approach there. Uh, data are used for planning policy and evaluation. Mike, I appreciated what you said about going where the data takes you. That's uh, very important. For years I think we probably uh, uh, ended up uh, maybe not being as focused as we could be and, and using the da data to take you to the place you need to go is important and, and in both those countries we saw that folks were willing to do that. Um, finally uh, an important point here was that when we got to both of those locations we found that they really did not have programs specifically targeted to older road users. Uh, they had a much higher emphasis on safety and the things that were done for all road users helped older road users and, and vice versa. The things that you could do for older road users helped everyone and you'll see some examples of that when we get to delineation. Uh, next slide of headliners here, removing driving privileges prematurely has unintended consequences. Remember earlier I talked about the uh, problem with pedestrians and what we found is that um, in one location in Australia they had some, some targeted programs trying to get folks out of the cars earlier but pretty much around the, the other places we visited, the uh, other two locations in Australia and Japan, uh, they really were not trying to push folks out of their cars prematurely, finding that it was more dangerous for older folks to be pedestrians than it was when they were driving slowly in their cars if they were making the right choices where they drove their cars. Uh, this was one that was reassuring the next bullet here, infrastructure and operational changes. That was reassuring to me as an engineer. Sometimes we do find that we get a little frustrated and we say that uh, it really is the driver and the vehicles that we wish we could change, particularly the drivers. And that's true, but we also found in both those countries that they are really looking at, at infrastructure improvements to help out as well. And then finally, uh, any of the literature that you read really shows you that mobility is a part of your life and quality of life as you get older. Uh, so really having a way to accommodate older road users is very important for quality of life. I, I talked about the systems approach. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the efforts there in speed enforcement. Really, in Australia, they tried to slow folks down with the idea that that would be a way to reduce severity. Um, lots of stuff with some innovative partners. And I'm going to go ahead and flip through and, and show quickly uh, some of the best of the best. 
we, we thought that the state of Victoria's Arrive Alive program really was a strategic uh, highway safety program that did a good job of covering the whole waterfront, road users, vehicles, and uh, the roadside. Wanted to give it kudos as an example. And in there, they actually uh, had a real emphasis on reducing severity. I mentioned that, but also in speed zoning as part of that. And this shows a, a little bit about the uh, uh, the systems approach that you really looked at in, in, in pedestrian areas. You looked at it with good public education. Uh, and you actually had real follow-through effort, which is something sometimes we don't do as good a job of in the U.S. as we really could or should. Here's an ex a couple of examples in school zones where they've uh, reduced the speed. A uh, uh, number of areas, uh, the entertainment precinct here uh, uh, really had zones later at night to reduce the speed. And then uh, this is part of what I talked about with the carry-through carry that uh, you really saw in some of these countries overseas. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough part of their enforcement, but it, it does work over there. Lots of camera enforcement. And we had a, another fellow from West Virginia, Barry Warhoftig, with us who took all of these uh, photographs of, of signs that he saw, and you can see lots of camera enforcement. I, I talked about policy uh, and planning issues and infrastructure and then research, so we'll quickly touch on those. Um, really uh, an, a recognition that you have to have commitment at the top, uh, critical issue of highest level of government. Uh, they, they pointed to having both aspirational goals, such as zero fatalities by such and such a year, but also practical goals. So you had incremental uh, numbers that would say, if we're getting to a zero fatality, let's have an achievable practical goal per year. And then, uh, again, a, a theme that we heard repeated frequently was this thing about using the data to take you to where your problems were. I mentioned infrastructure. I'm going to flip through several slides on infrastructure here just to give some examples. And I'm not going to talk a lot about any of these, but uh, some things with intersections, some things with traffic control, and, and then some things with, uh, uh, with pavement markings, and then particularly for pedestrians. So with this... Uh, the type of ideas that you saw were situations where there was perhaps a uh, higher incidence of older road users or older drivers. Uh, you take away some of the judgments, uh, for example, here taking away the go-no-go -go decision with traffic phasing, uh, an example of where this actually, instead of having folks having to judge the gap, uh, make the decision for the person. They would look where they had a targeted area where you perhaps had an abundance of older drivers making bad judgments on gaps and then use this type of uh, installation. Uh, another thing here is to have softer, gentler type of geometrics, uh, recognizing that older road users don't have the same mobility in, in necks and so forth, looking back over your shoulder. So trying to have design templates at intersections that uh, accommodated uh, that physical characteristic of older drivers. Traffic control devices, uh, basically this is the bigger, brighter, better on traffic control devices. Uh, again, this is one of those areas where what was done helped older road users, but helped all road users as well. This was in Tokyo using a brighter delineation, uh, perhaps a little bit like China with the, the amount of smog and uh, soot they have there, so it's uh, gotten a little less bright over time. but. Uh, when you were driving through there, you saw this thing really, and, and at nighttime with the type of materials they were using, really something that would grab your attention. Next area here, uh, use of colored pavements was something that we found really intriguing. Uh, we're going to recommend some research in this area. 
uh, in Japan and really had some places where they used color pavements to help folks navigate through very complex intersections, sort of the follow the yellow brick road concept. Um, in both countries, very friendly, much more friendly to, to transit. Uh, they do have the, the, the density of development that actually accommodates that. But here in Australia, this was Melbourne, uh, the slide to the left, you can see that they've actually taken away a lane to actually have the, the tram stop jut out into that lane so that folks could more easily get onto the train without having to step down across the lane of traffic. So if you were in the, the vehicle lane there, you really had to just come up and stop and wait for the tram to load and move on and then drive out into the center and around. Uh, again, uh, both countries had really an, em uh, an emphasis on making transit uh, work for them. I mentioned about pedestrians. We're going to fly through a few examples of this. Uh, uh, so first of all, in Sydney, uh, really quite a, a use of refuge islands where you could safely get halfway across the street rather than, rather than having to judge the gaps and get all the way across. Uh, there's an example of that in Sydney. Uh, Mid-block pedestrian crossings. Uh, these were actuated crossings where uh, a pedestrian could come and, and get the, the clearance and actually have plenty of time to get across and, and actually in some cases having a detection to know when pedestrians were in there and extending that phase for pedestrians. This was uh, pretty fascinating and I don't know how many states around are doing this but in uh, particularly in Australia, we saw quite a use of channelization for pedestrians. Uh, the slide up there at the top is uh, not very attractive, but some of these other treatments were. They really gave pedestrians no choice where to go. They would take them to collection points and take them safely across at one location rather than uh, the little town I grew up in, North Carolina, where you jaywalked uh, anywhere in the street. Driver reduction and cessation. Uh, we had thought that there might have been some things over in Sydney in particular where uh, we had heard that there was some talk about uh, how you, you figure that right age to get folks out of the car. And I'll tell you that what we found is there's no silver bullet on this issue, that uh, Sydney had had some examples where uh, there had been some uh, crashes with high visibility and so the population was a little bit stirred up at the time. But even there, they really were not having mandatory testing in a, in a way that uh, really was too onerous. Now, as we went around to the other places, though, we found that there was quite an emphasis on the community actually taking care of older folks, uh, particularly in working with older folks to help them understand more about how to use transit, how to get around, uh, but also uh, a lot of tools, useful tools about self-assessment so that you could read this and, and sort of figure out to yourself where you had a point where you needed to think about giving up driving. And any of you that have asked a parent to give up their car keys know how difficult that is. Research activities, uh, a number of very interested, interesting areas there. Uh, older driver naturalistic uh, studies. You may have seen this on CNN where the, the university, Monash University, has a camera that focuses on the, the movement of pupils and sees where folks are looking. And, it, and they found that there's quite an interesting uh, difference between the way younger folks perceive the roadway and where their eyes stay and what they focus on versus older drivers. So a, a lot of good stuff we think that could still be done there. Um, I'm not going to go over all of these, but I'll flip down to the bottom because at the end I'm going to volunteer, not at the end of my presentation, but if we have time at the end of everything here, to actually show you a demonstration on biometrics. This is uh, that the mind is able to put together an incredible amount of information just from very little bits of information. Uh, for example, Nike running shoes have the little reflectorized stripe on the back and just that movement uh, at nighttime of the reflectorized stripe moving up and down tells you there's a runner. 
It turns out there's a, an incredible amount of information that could be tapped there if we figured out how to use that. The way you might use that for an older driver would be that you, you gave them reflectorized dots out in the, in the distance and they could tell more about what was coming up and see it earlier and, and actually make decisions about seeing it earlier. And if we have time, I think you'll find that, that uh, presentation, the, the demonstration, pretty fascinating. What are we going to do with this? Uh, coming here to the end, uh, the first thing is that Federal Highway and, and AASHTO have an older driver handbook that actually covered a lot of these things. It was produced back in the 90s. We're going to make sure that the things that we saw on this trip are incorporated into that. It's about to be re-released next year. We're going to actually reach out to some non-traditional partners um, on some things such as transit programs. How do you in rural areas, how do you have a transit that works uh, if you don't have the density? Neat little story from Australia. Uh, they were trying to find a way to have some paratransit out in real rural area. Little town had a hearse that only was used uh, not very occasionally because they were so small, and so they, they actually provide paratransit type of activities using the, uh, the company or the, the city's hearse there to, to carry folks around. Ideas like that about how do you actually make it so older folks have options for getting around. Uh, targeted research, I gave you some of those research ideas. What we'll do there is actually look at a, a number of those. The one that I talked about with colored pavements, an example, where our MUTCD in the U.S. doesn't really uh, subscribe to that very much, but it turns out there may be some real potential there. Planning guidelines, uh, looking at guidelines for planners on how to, to plan residential areas if you know that there's a bigger concentration of older road users, either pedestrians or drivers. Uh, give some ideas about how to better plan your, your cities. And then finally, uh, developing training materials for transportation dividers. This is one where we're looking to transit, uh, perhaps to see if there's some additional things they could do. For example, in Australia, they found that a, a fear of falling was one of the most predominant things that kept people from using transit. And so how could you actually help folks either uh, uh, be more skilled at, at getting onto transit? I, I showed the uh, block out into the street or actually provide training to the, the users of the, or the drivers of the transit to actually help them understand some of these uh, situations where the user may not be quite ready to use it. How do you, how do you help them? I, I think we're holding questions till the end, but I had to, I couldn't resist actually showing some uh, pretty neat uh, road signs from Australia. So I think with that, Marianne, I'm done, and uh, we'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Tom. Um, Florida has also found some ways that, and we found out that what helps older drivers helps all of us because as much as we don't like it, we're all getting older. And we have a program called Safe Mobility for Life that finds that, you know, when you increase reflectivity of, of edge line markings, um, you put your RPMs closer together, um, not only helps your older road users, but it, it helps all of us. 